James, it's awesome having you on here. Thank you for joining. Thank you for inviting me. Cool. So James from Shape Immersive, um, so much to talk to you about and like 3D is like, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, why don't we start with who's James? Tell us about Shape Immersive and just tell us how you got into this whole ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So James Basnett, I'm fortunate to be the CEO at Shape Immersive. Shape Immersive is a metaverse studio. So we look like a game studio. We operate uh, like a strategy agency in the digital world. And we mostly focus on helping leading retail brands figure out what the metaverse is and enter it, build spaces, build experiences, as well as some well-funded NFT companies. Um, and they're, they're both trying to figure out from two different angles, how do we build really beautiful immersive digital experiences? And I got here uh, really at the beginning of COVID. Um, the work I was doing running an AI company in retail uh, got beat up because of the lockdown. And my friends uh, had founded Shape, uh, Dan and Alex, Dan Berger and Alex Schwong, and they've been doing a lot of great work helping to see the global VR community. And in Vancouver, they're the co-presidents of the Vancouver VR AR Association, had found a way to get three, 350 companies together to form the local chapter uh, membership. And so that's a really, really big group of immersive media companies. And it's one of the, probably the second biggest on the planet outside of the Bay Area. And we were having conversations at the beginning of COVID and we said, all right, what are we going to do? How, you know, wh how is this impacting our individual businesses? And we looked at collaborating. So we were building a lot of software, uh, mobile software, desktop, and it became clear that a lot of retail customers were going to have to evolve very quickly and adapt to this new post pandemic world because the retail industry is driven by, um, you know, retail store KPIs. So how much product are we moving per store, per square foot, yeah. per uh, human retail associate? So these have been the benchmark KPIs for a lot of retail companies. But if your store's closed, then your business KPIs go out, right? So now you can look at e-com, but e-com can only do part of the picture. So it became very clear to us that there was going to be an opportunity and we wanted to lean into it. Um, and find a way to bring, you know, big enterprise retail technology implementations together with AR, VR, and a lot of the 3D tech that drives that. And so that is the structure that sits under our Metaverse studio. So interesting and, and so much to talk to you about. You know, during COVID, I remember going, like at one point when we were allowed to go back into the malls, I remember going to the mall to the Apple store. And Apple's one of these retailers that is historically been seen as like the gold standard in square footage, you know, sales per square footage. And what's so interesting and what, why I'm bringing this up is because I remember going to the mall and the lady at Apple said, don't even come in here, go online, right? So it's like, it's like that's not a relevant metric anymore because the metric is more now sales based on, I guess, both physical footprint, but also whatever, you know, virtual footprint you have too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we know how good Apple is at both uh, yeah. brick and mortar retail as well as e-com. Um, but I, I think that that signals the change where your retail brand is no longer its core is in person for, for a, certainly for leading brands. Uh, Nike is a great example yeah. now too, 
where they've decided not to distribute their goods through some of yeah. the smaller retailers, like Foot Locker, for example. Yeah. But how, you know, if you think about Foot Locker's business, how many Nike shoes do they use to sell as part of their mix? Crazy. That was a large chunk of it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's being brought back, and Nike is now much more comfortable with its suite of applications and its direct-to-consumer experience. They know that that is always a rich Nike experience, yeah. whereas you going into Foot Locker, maybe you've got the product associate there who doesn't have a great understanding of that new product, um, and maybe they like Adidas. You know, it's, it's, it's really diluting the Nike product experience, whereas they have full control of it online. So interesting, and, and I think a lot of people are there now. Like, you talk to people today, and I think what you're saying is, like, largely what they think, too. But you were having these conversations right at the beginning of COVID. So, so what led up to putting you and, and Dan and the team in a position to be early on this? I, I think, personally, I was forced into it. So <laughs> we were doing, you know, we were supporting retail supply chain heavily with our business. Right. And before lockdown happened, my business was already impacted because we could see that China and supply chain into retail in North America was getting impacted already by what was happening over there. So I had a couple weeks ahead mm. to start thinking. And when, you know, when you lose, you know, two or three customers overnight, uh, you know, pretty yeah. close to that, you're forced into a situation where you've got to figure out what's happening next. So I, I would say that I was, I was fortunate enough to be pushed into pivot thinking immediately, whereas many others got stuck in a holding pattern, right? Lockdown happened, people started working from home, didn't know what impact that was gonna have on their business. I already had to make an aggressive pivot before all that happened. Because you're on the supply side. Yeah, so it's, it's, we didn't have, I, I think, enough robust business that was holding us to old models of thinking. We were very fortunate or unfortunate. We just, you know, if you pick the right path and, and you follow yeah. it, then you end up in a successful place. And so we feel really, really fortunate about what we were able to find. Um, I think our timing was really good, but part of that timing is something you can't control. And I'm sure it didn't feel that way when you lost those three customers at the beginning. Oh, it felt terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It felt terrible. I think, you know, the other piece is that when you're focused on, let's say, like retail, right? And I'm very, very aware of what the retail KPIs were, whereas that's not common knowledge for people mm -hmm. and how to lean in and how to adjust to, um, you know, COVID lockdowns. So it, I knew that all of my prior customers in the retail landscape were going to have to come up with their own new strategy. Yeah. So they were going to have to, at the very least, listen to new ways of doing business, which can look like 3D digital yeah. twins, augmented reality. And what we've seen emerge in the last couple of years is that, you know, all leading retail brands have had to figure out something mm -hmm. where they have to understand where they fit in the realm of 3D models, augmented reality, et cetera. And there's a few categories that work really well with it. You know, furniture is a great example. Yeah. Furniture needs digital twins and augmented reality baked into their sites yeah. because they have a big return problem with things not fitting. And people now have the ability to go onto these re retail e-com sites for furniture, 
see a couch in their own space, make sure that it's going to look good and fit. And it, it is something that is a much better consumer experience if you can't get to the store, um, but it reduces returns in a considerable way. So, so that category specifically had to go and lead into um, you know, adapting to 3D digital tech. It's also just way better too as a consumer. It's like, I'm not even sure I want it until like I see it. And if you're helping me see it before I even have it, then um, that's a better experience even just for the customer. Um, but even before we go into like deep into AR and VR, maybe just for the benefit of, of the folks listening, um, what is AR? What is VR? Where does this all lead to? Um, and maybe just like what is the, maybe we'll start with what's the best description you, th- you could think of of what AR is? And then I'll ask you the same question for VR. Yeah, so uh, I think that it's a pretty clear delineation between the two. Augmented reality is a layer of information, digital information, on top of the world that you see. So, for example, it's looking at your desk, but being able to see that Nike shoe on your desk. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be an augmented reality implementation of Nike's e-com experience. Virtual reality is where your full attention is into a completely different world. So you're going to be walking into a virtual Nike store and it's going to look like a Nike store all around you. It's not going to look like your room and your desk. And so, um, yeah, that's that's the split. Augmented reality is really easy for people to be able to uh, experience because we're still physical beings. We understand our space and it's social. So if we were looking at, say, an AR hologram in the middle of the room right now, we could still feel comfortable with how we're managing our physical bodies and looking at each other and being social. Whereas virtual reality, um, you know, you are really being teleported into a completely different space. It makes it very difficult for you to uh, manage your body and be social as well. When we look at, let's say, watching a movie together, right? If you're both watching a movie on VR headsets, you can't see the other person laugh. Yeah. And this is something that gets in the way of Netflix and chill. Right. So we're disturbing the chill part. Yeah. So (laughs) so where we see VR work really well right now is places that are actually more natural, solitary experiences. Uh, Corporate training is a great example. Mm. When We're doing corporate training. Sometimes we do it as groups, but often it's about the individual learning. And so VR works great for training, but it's not going to be great for how do we watch a movie together uh, or how to see a Nike shoe on my own foot. I love your perspective because it's it's obviously grounded in real examples, right? Because like the way you're explaining this stuff makes a lot of sense. But I think it's a lot of it comes from the fact that you're actually working with large brands and you're actually doing this stuff, um, and you're seeing that kind of like feedback loop. Um, so, is it a, a fair assumption to make that AR might be the easier one to start with, and that will lead to VR, and then VR is kind of like more of that metaverse type of thing people are talking about? Yeah, so metaverse is a really tricky topic because um, I can't remember the last time a technology came out that everybody had heard of and had an opinion. (laughs) Um, And so at Shape, and certainly personally when I'm thinking about metaverse, we use it as as an umbrella term for all 3D digital that's sitting there. And so when you see these very interesting analyst predictions, you know, it can be from the banks, they can be from the management consulting groups of metaverse being worth $30 trillion, you know, by the end of 2027. Uh, a lot of that is because they're using it as an umbrella term and, you know, gaming is fitting underneath it. And 
AR and VR and digital twin e-commerce for furniture websites. And so um, throwing everything in there. Yeah. So I use metaverse as a catch all term, not necessarily as, you know, the far reaching concept of all of us crawling into a completely digital world that's far away. And it's, so it's not practical for us today. Uh, And I think that also that creates a lot of fear in people because they think that Mark Zuckerberg is building a copy of the planet and that they're going to get trapped in there like the Matrix. And, yeah, that is scary. Only uh, that first part's true. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So we, you know, when we're using Metaverse, really it, it's, it's, it's talking about the future of digital technologies moving from two-dimensional interfaces into three-dimensional interfaces. Mm-hmm. When we talk to brands, we use the analogy of, you know, what's the video game version of your brand? If Instagram is the photography version of your brand, if Twitter and blogs are the written version of your brand or the written expression of your brand, uh, what does your brand look like as a video game? Uh, And that's where you start to walk into a 3D space uh, and we get a chance to leverage a lot of the tech that we've learned how to run video games with. It's great. So it's so great. And I am like fully there, right? I think AR AR, AR will become more part of our life. I actually think it's, already a part of our life and a lot of people don't really even realize it like how many people use the ruler app on the iphone that's ar right and how many people will click the button on an e-commerce site to see what the couch looks like in their house or whatever right so well, talk to me about adoption like is adoption as kind of straightforward as you know more and more people will use ar that'll make them more comfortable and then they'll start trying even more merciful experiences or is there a step before that am am i thinking about that right yeah so augmented reality is now baked into every iphone and every android device so from an install base standpoint you know number of smartphones on the planet equal number of augmented reality devices wow so that looks really good the um, how often are people using ar you know the the biggest use case for ar is actually face filters and things like snapchat Um, we love being able to see our own faces, but maybe we've got a Takashi 69 tattoo on our face, right? Or I've got puppy ears. Or my wife makes our baby look really old or something. Yes, exactly. So, so this, is, this is the most common use of AR today because um, people love using their cameras and they love seeing themselves in new ways. Uh, so there's you know billions of AR users on the planet. VR is a much tricky, trickier situation. Um, it's been growing quite steadily in the last couple of years, especially from the beginning of COVID, and also the launch of Quest Two. Because Quest Two, you know, we finally gotten VR products to a place where they don't need to be tethered to a computer, and um, it's really easy to use. It's really easy to get into an experience. You know, the batteries last long enough. The fidelity is good enough. And so the Quest 2 is kind of this, like, you know, consumer moment, consumer inflection point in VR. But there's not a lot of headsets out there, and it's not essential for people to use it right now. So AR is always going to have a much bigger install base because of its inclusion into smartphones. And, you know, you can see the impact of that in the market where, you know, Apple's not – thinking about VR devices. They're thinking just about augmented reality. Do you think so? Like, like, do you think Apple comes out with an Apple headset that's VR-oriented? So right now, they're calling it, let's say, like it's, it's a mixed reality. Mm-hmm. Mixed reality, meaning it can blend between the two modes, right? You can hit one, one, one mode and be in a fully immersive environment, uh, which is VR, and then you can hit another mode, and you're seeing everything in your room, but you're able to see holograms on top of it. 
which could be, you know, you FaceTiming with your wife in the future. You both have those headsets. Maybe you're on uh, a, a work trip. And in from your hotel, you can see her and, and your child in the living room but in th- or in your hotel room in 3D, and they're in their living room. Yeah. So that is what we'll see out of Apple, is, is what we'll call mixed reality. And um, Facebook is pivoting uh, headsets to there as well. So you, you know, they want to allow people to be able to experience these technologies without feeling trapped. Because when you're in a virtual world, you know, you're kind of stuck there in a lot of ways can't see your own hands and feet this is why there's a lot of blooper yeah. videos of you know people running into walls with yeah. VR headsets on because um, essentially what we're doing is we're hacking the human central nervous system yeah. and the uh, human again s- human central <laughs> yeah. nervous system does not want to be hacked i mean it, it has evolved for six million years to get to where it currently is and so you know i think it's also where we see the impacts of um you know vr giving people motion sickness it's the central nervous system just you know, disagreeing with what the brain is ingesting from sights and sounds, you know? So, you know, you might be at the top of Everest and it's super cold, but your body knows that you're actually at room temperature. Yeah. So your body starts like having a disagreement with itself. Like it looks like the Everest. It looks like I can look down on the mountain and I'm getting, um, you know, uh, weird feelings of um, gravity and falling off the top of this mountain and it's cold, but my body doesn't feel that same thing. And so that's the problem that VR has right now. Do you think that's new though? Like, do you think it's the first time we've tricked the body that way? Because I think even just smartphones and getting all this like easy access content and like these lights hitting you at all time. Do you, do you think we like we've done this before? And do you think this is just the next version of that? Uh, I think that they work in a little bit of different way because with phones, we're tricking part of the brain. Like we're, we're taking our attention from our physical world and we're putting it into what's streaming into us, but we're not tricking the body. So when you're watching a racing video, your body doesn't get, doesn't think that it's in the race car. Right. But when you're in a VR headset, it does. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where the disagreement comes up. So I think that is going to take much longer for us to, to adapt as people, but also for tech companies to solve. How do we make, the human body feel great in those environments, virtual environments. It may not really happen. I think that's why Apple's going mixed. I, I think, I think Apple looks at, you know, the way the way that they go about things is they don't want to launch products for a few million people. You know, Facebook's been happy to do that, um, have an install base of, um, you know, tens of millions of VR headsets. Apple, what do they have? A, a billion yeah. active devices on the planet right they go now. For big numbers. Right, they go for big numbers, and so you can't do that with the VR headsets. I think they also really care about um, user experience. Yeah. Right, they care more about user experience than any other company. And augmented reality is far more human. Right, it, you know, I can see, see an immersive you. experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I can also then look at my wife, yeah. and we can smile at each other. And I can't do that in VR. Um, and then, you know, in, in, in AR, we know that it's a much easier way for us to learn about the technologies and distribute the technologies if we're using iPhones. Mm-hmm. Cameras are great. Computation is great on them. And it's a way for us to, um, you know, take the MVP approach to the technology at a global scale, right? Everyone's using the Measure app on their iPhone, right? 
So that gets us a little bit more trained for, okay, now I can see that Apple product in AR in my room. So in terms of consumer adoption, I, 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 we've talked a lot about Apple. Do you think, and I know Quest 2 was a big kind of like milestone in, in helping more people participate in this kind of new way we're going. Do you think Apple comes out with, with a, a different piece of hardware and it's the next inflection point, like after Quest 2? Like if, if we're looking back 10 years from now, you go, hey, when Quest 2 came out, it onboarded a bunch of new people. Is, do you think there's an Apple device that, that is the next version of that? Yeah, and it's supposed to come out this year. Cool. Um, and, you know, on the roadmap will be glasses, you know. So my glasses right now, you know, the ideal is that we can take iPhone-level information and to be able to display it through my glasses onto my lenses. And, you know, when people hear about, you know, AR and VR and they get worried, the metaverse is going to swallow us whole. People like me, you know, at Shape, we're going to sell it as actually a more human level of technology. So instead of us all looking at social media timelines on our phones for eight hours a day, we're going to be able to throw the phone away, fix our posture, and to be able to see information in a, in a, in a more physical, human form than what we've done is trap everything in these, like, these, little, yeah. these little rectangles. And I think that, that is, it's going to improve a lot of the problems that we have right now uh, with people being addicted to phones. Yeah. I don't know if you saw what happened, the photos that were coming out yesterday of, of LeBron James getting the NBA all-time scoring title. And the photo of him doing it Behind him is the crowd, and every single person has their phone out. Has their phone out. And so you know, we know that causes a presence issue. You're not, you're not fully able to pay attention because you're trying to pay attention to your phone. We're going to split the gap. You know, Everybody will have their glasses on, and they'll be able to take the photos through that. And so you're getting the best of both worlds. But they're getting a better view themselves because they're not like looking at this. They're actually looking at, at the event. Um, that, that'll even, even his kids, wow. right? Both of his sons are sitting courtside. And they both had their, their their iPhones out the whole time. It'll solve that problem. At least fireworks will be able to um, actually watch them. People do the same thing with fireworks. Um, yeah, I think it'll be really exciting. And for us, consumer adoption is really important. I mean, I think, I hope Apple comes out with something like that because it'll, it'll onboard more people. Um, let me just ask you about digital assets and like brands kind of representing themselves. So I'm, I'm bought in on this. I think that Apple will come out with something. I think we will be more, we'll fix our postures and like the digital world will blend more with the physical world. Um, what, what's your view on digital assets and brands? Like, like how should brands participate in that environment? Yeah, I think right now what, what I tell them all is you got to experiment. Um, it's, you don't want to be a second or a third mover. Um, and it also, it takes a few years to build a kind of internal knowledge of how to best use these technologies. Um, you know, who's leading these programs internally? Is it the innovation people? Is it the marketing people? Um, how do you find the best vendors? You've got to know how to evolve your, certainly your e-commerce products in, in the retail world so that they're ready to integrate with immersive media. And so I'm pushing the idea of experiment. Get an idea of what it looks like. Figure out who the leaders are at your organization who are going to be able to install new technologies soon if Apple comes out with a headset that millions of people buy and that's how we want to you know shop for furniture now um, you've you've got to be ready for it and you don't want to take another three or four years to be able to react so I push experimentation the big fun question for me is how much 
you know, when we look at retail brands, let's say over the last 30 years, um, you know, 30 years ago, even, you know, about 20 years ago, it was mostly brick and mortar sales. And then we got into e-com, right? And so we're e-com or DTC, DTC right? Direct-to-consumer. So a lot of these companies now are realizing, well, we can sell just as much product online as we can in the store. So then your stores become far less important as distribution centers, far more important as experience centers, mm-hmm. which is why you'll go into a, a store that looks kind of like, you know, the inside of a library or a coffee shop, and it's a fun place to be. And that's where you were strengthening your brand relationship, but you were going to complete the purchase on your phone there or when you get home. And so we're, we're seeing a decoupling of the physical space and distribution. But the big fun question for me is, you know, we, we had brick and mortar, then we went to direct or consumer. Now we're going into virtual. So Nike, for example, how many of its products five years from now are going to be sold or what percentage of its revenue is going to be virtual? You're going to be, it's already shifting for them. So we're buying NFTs, we're buying uh, virtual shoes, you know, whether they're Fortnite skins. Balenciaga has been great at this and some of the, you know, what they've been doing in Fortnite. They're using virtual good sales to help push physical good sales. Um, But I, I love looking at a Nike and thinking, you know, 10 years from now, is 20% of what they sell virtual or more, right? or more. Yeah, let me ask you, because like um, when we're talking to brands, I think that there's a lot of that go, hey, we want to do this. We're excited. We'll try it. But I think for many, they see this as risky. And, and, and I listen to you and I go, is it more risky not to do it? Because like we're obviously going in this direction. So is it risk? It's obviously risky to experiment and try, but what would you say to brands that aren't are, are saying this is risky? We'll wait. Uh, I, I don't think. I mean, it depends what what category of brand that we're looking at. But I I don't think that it makes sense to wait because if the tech does work and people do start to demand it or expect it at the level that we evolved to e-commerce. Remember the first e-commerce stores, people were like, oh, I'm going to buy stuff on a website. I can't look at it. Then you get to this point now where 75% of what you buy comes from Amazon. One click, and that becomes the new standard. There's too much to lose if it's going to work. So, and it, and it, you know, e-com was actually something you could evolve into quite quickly because two-dimensional photos we figured out. You're already doing product images. You're already doing that kind of, that information. It, there's too much of a gap, I think, in, in 3D. It takes too much to adapt to it for you to sit and wait so that if you then decide to pivot or you decide, all right, this is becoming a priority for us, it's going to take you an extra couple years mm. to start implementing stuff. And at that point, you can lose market share. Um, and there's going to be new new interests that just take over. Yeah. Well, James, time flew. Like, I, I, I am really happy you joined us. And uh, I've learned a lot, and I, I'm excited. Maybe I'll end with this just last question. Knowing and kind of from your perspective of the future and, and that we are, I often say to people, like, you know, we're going into a world that's more digital. You're on the groundwork seeing that happen. Are you optimistic, like, truly about the future? And, and how long until we're all regularly in kind of like headsets or, or regularly immersed in, in a blended kind of like physical digital world. Yeah. So I, I'm an optimist in general. 
uh, with everything that I look at. Uh, and I'm also a technologist in technology sales. So where those two things meet is, is really my focus point is how we can make human experiences better using the tech. Uh, when you make great human experiences with it, um, you're going to see adoption rise. So um, I think there, there are paths and there's certainly going to be some bad digital experiences where people get sucked into, you know, VR worlds. But what I'm seeing right now out of, you know, iPhone social media culture is for me terrible already. You know, so I think we got to we got to find a way to evolve the technology to make it better. And if everybody is sitting there stuck in ad driven social media timeline loops, that's making them depressed and is crouching them over. I think that's bad. So if we can use tech to get people up and living again and away from being stuck in their phones, uh, I think it's worth a shot. So that's how I see it. I also know that the way that the venture capital, the public technology markets are set up, we can't stop evolving tech. So it's going to move somewhere. And I'd rather ride that wave and try to solve really fun problems. Um, and if more people uh, you know, are thinking like that, I think we're just going to create good experiences. for. I think you're 100% right. I think that we're going to be more intentional going forward because of companies like yours and companies like, like mine and, um, and, and many companies like that. Uh, and the, I think we'll look back and we'll look at this peer, current period or this recent period as not the best use of technology and, and the future will be one that's way brighter. And I think that's what gets us excited and, and makes us come to work every day. Um, James, thanks for coming. It's been awesome. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks.